I'm sorry. Who was the one who was like, I won at Yahtzee, I won at Dominion, and uh, <laughs> just pick off. Who, who was that? I don't know. Who was that? Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries, and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Welcome to Scattered, everybody. Uh, this week we're looking at Acts 17 and then a bit of uh, chapter 18 as well. Just before we start, uh, we just wanted to clarify something about uh, the name of the podcast. So it is Scattered and we say that we are all in different countries uh, and we are supposed to all be in different countries. However, I, Helen, uh Covid and Brexit conspired against me and my family, and so we find ourselves back at the jumps. So uh, it's not fraud. We're not. We're not lying. We were intended to be scattered when we started this podcast. Great. So yeah, we've got Paul is still on his um, second missionary journey. Um, he's just come from Philippi, uh, where he was in jail. Um, he's about to be expelled from his fourth and fifth cities. Um, I mean, if you think you're having a difficult time in your ministry, uh, yeah, I think this was trickier. Um, And he's, yeah, and he's going to, he's back on the road. So, um, Jill, can you give us a bit of context to the first bit of our passage? Yeah, sure. Uh, Since last week, when we got ourselves slightly tied up in geographical knots, I um, looked up a good Google map of the area and where Paul was going. And I'd really recommend doing that. Just Google Paul's second missionary journey. Um, And it's so helpful to see the amount of um, ground he's covering. And so that whole section last week where he wasn't permitted to preach or teach was basically the whole of Turkey, modern day Turkey. And so he walked that whole distance and then... Um, there's some sailing, but there's a lot of walking. And it's just really struck me this week that what in God's providence, how amazing it was that Jesus came at the time of the Roman Empire, because probably for the first time in history, there are roads, decent roads being built and access across massive parts of the known world. And so um, Paul's really accessing that and benefiting from that. And as a Roman citizen, like we saw at the end of last week's passage, he's got access into massive areas. But it's super challenged me looking at the map and seeing how far he walked and how sore his feet must have been because those were massive roads that he walked along for many, many miles. So, yeah, but mm-hmm. praise God that the Roman Empire was around just at the same time as Jesus. And so the gospel could go forth and cross boundaries and geographical areas much easier than it would have done and probably at any other time in history, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, great. So go go and look at a map. It is, it is super helpful, especially for people like me who are terrible at geography. Um, great. And so this week, so at the beginning of our passage, Paul um, has passed through a few places, which I won't attempt to pronounce, and they come to Thessalonica. Uh, and he goes to the synagogue, um, and as usual, he's he's dialoguing with the people there. Um, what kind of why is the gospel a problem for for people here? It's interesting, isn't it? That he, I was really struck in this section by the number of words that are used. He reasoned, explained, proved, proclaimed, persuaded. Um, 
Paul's working really hard to educate um, the Jewish mind that the Messiah um, is a suffering servant rather than what they expected, which was the conquering hero. Um, and so I was really challenged by the, yeah, just the the extent he was prepared to go to, to work really hard for them to see from their scriptures that these things are true and that he's not bringing a new teaching, but he's understanding their scriptures rightly. And yeah, I, I found it really encouraging and helpful how keen he is for them to see it for themselves. It's not that he's just saying, do this because I say so, but he's wanting them to see that themselves and really um, understand and rejoice in Jesus as their Messiah, the one that they're waiting for, even though his uh, their understanding of what a Messiah might be has been different. So I think that's where the conflict comes, that their understanding of Messiah is so different and they're so offended by his understanding of Messiah, but he's working so hard to persuade them that it's... Um, biblical from their scriptures and the truth rather than just his new take the the thing that really struck me about this and why it was a problem for the jewish leadership is that actually because paul persuaded and used the scriptures to to prove it because it doesn't just say that he explained does it it says that he proved it as in like it was beyond reasonable doubt that there was no theological argument for them They couldn't use a theological argument because there wasn't one. And so they had to resort later to social and uh, political arguments in order to try and discredit Paul. You know, um, because the issue here for the Jewish authorities isn't necessarily the theological side. It's more the, the power and the Jewish standing in society, because by acknowledging that Jesus um is Lord. It sort of transforms the way that the people would look at the way that they would relate to the authorities and the representatives. Uh, It really just, yeah, it just completely changes things. And, you know, they even say these men have turned the world upside down. And I just love that because it's, it's a compliment, isn't it? That the gospel is the gospel that Paul's proclaiming is completely it's so radical for the people that he's talking to, both Jews and non-Jews. Um, and what I really love as well is that actually, oh, what I don't, it's not what I love, but they're misunderstanding what's going on here, don't, aren't they? They think that the world is being turned upside down, but actually the gospel has come to turn the world the right way up again. The upside mm-hmm. downness happened at the fall and, and actually, <coughs> gospel and Jesus has come to turn turn the world uh, back upright and the way it was meant to be and so I feel sad for the Jewish authorities that they're fighting this attempt to put the world right again um, but that's fascinating Helen isn't it because look at the depths that they've got to go to they've got to find wicked men of a rabble to form a mob against Paul. So that really illustrates your point, doesn't it, beautifully, that they've got to drag through the real scumbags in (laughs) Thessalonica to to cause trouble because actually the truth is what sets people free and puts the world the right way up again. And so all they can do is go and find some really difficult people to kick off. Mm. Yeah, and and I realised reading this passage as well, maybe we mentioned it before, but actually they're saying these people are causing problems but actually it's always the Jewish authorities who get people riled up 
every time <laughs> because they can't usually there's some sort of theological argument going on they recognize that actually the scriptures prove who Jesus was and is and so they have to cause violence in order to kind of make they can't really then they can't really go to the authorities can they and say uh, sorry, we're jealous. Please, could you deal with these men? Yeah. We feel jealous. That's the truth, which we see in the text. But that's not really something that stands up in a um, in front of the city authorities, is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How are things a bit different in Berea? Berea. They, they get a big compliment to the Bereans, don't they? Because they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I really picked out how they... In, in the synagogue in the first city, it was just a week, once a week, Paul could go and speak. But they're so keen in Berea and eager to learn that it's a daily thing. They're asking Paul daily to teach them and to explain to them these true things. I was really struck by sort of the contrast between the two groups, like the less than ideal response and the ideal response. Um, I just love the Bereans. They sort of accepted Paul, no prejudice, allowed him a fair hearing. They recognised the potential importance of the message and then they spent a long time looking at the scriptures. Um, mm. I thought that was really helpful as we hear a lot of things on a daily basis from news or social media or whatever. It really struck me. I was like, how often do I hear something and then look at, okay, so what does the Bible say? How often do I try and reason in my head? And actually, I should be going to the Bible. Okay, this, what is this statement that social media has said to me actually saying? And how does the Bible speak to that? Do they match up? Do they not? Um, so sadly again uh, Paul and Silas uh, have to leave we get these Jews from Thessalonica learn that he's preaching and they come all the way to Berea Um, I'm not sure how far that is but um, that was 50 miles I learned on my map studies this week um, so 50 miles okay they come 50 miles and uh, Paul and Silas oh no sorry Paul gets um, sent to the coast but Silas and Timothy stay um, so Paul's gone to Athens and he's waiting in Athens. Um, what, uh, what is Paul's approach to telling people about Jesus in Athens? What happens there and um, how is it relevant to like how we can share with people um, about Jesus? What do you think, guys? Can I just geek out to start with and tell you it was 300 miles to Athens? Wow. Thanks, Jill. <laughs> he didn't walk it, though. He got on the boat. Yeah, I know, but still, this is the distances we're talking, peeps. <laughs> yeah, I really love this um, this speech, this sermon that Paul gives. I just think it's a really um, biblical way of um, sharing the gospel. He starts in um, creation and he ends with a statement of judgment and a call to repentance. He starts mm. with, God is the true creator. This is the purpose of humanity, but this has gone wrong. And this is, you're going to be called to account. Um, Yeah, I just think it's, but it's not, he does it in such a great, smooth, it's making me really jealous. I wish I could share in this relevant way to people around me. (laughs) Uh, It's Mm. just making me feel a bit like that, but also really inspired 
to think a bit more about how I should be sharing the gospel with those people around me. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think he really loves the people that he he um, wants to share with, doesn't he? I, I love the way that he um, he looks around. He he he's waiting for them in Athens, um, and I don't know whether that was his plan to just wait. But he starts looking around the city, doesn't he? Um, and he's greatly distressed to see that the city is full of idols. Mm. Um, I think Paul's sharing with these guys comes from seeing their state um, and desiring, loving loving them and desiring to share with them the truth. Um, what were you going to say, Jill? Yeah, that, that. But as well, how amazing he does it of affirming what, you know, finding the common point of um, interest with them that, you know, I see that you have a um, temple to an unknown God. Let me tell you about that unknown God. And I found that super challenging about just thinking about friends I've got and and they're all, everybody's in a different place, aren't they, spiritually? Um, and working hard to work out and understand what the common point of interest is that then you can talk about Jesus from. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just thought he did such a good job of, yeah, explaining to them what they don't see because there, there was that acknowledgement that their God is unknown and that yeah that that heart of love of saying let me tell you about the God who loves you and you can know and I think it was quite a Greek thing wasn't it that sort of the gods are distant from us you know they don't really care about us we can't really know them and so like it's such good news is a personal God that wants to be in relationship with us and has actually come down and um become man to make that possible Mm. yeah I really loved how he kind of met them where they're at and but then says you know God isn't like us he doesn't need a house he doesn't need anything from us he can't be represented by a model or a statue and and he says to them doesn't he basically he says you know this, you know that your idols aren't enough, you know that in your inner being, which is why you have this unknown God, because you know that all these gods aren't enough. Um, Let me tell you about the God who can fill that hole in your life. You know, you're trying to fill that God-shaped hole with other things that will never satisfy you, um, and then leads them to a place of repentance and belief. And I I thought that was completely relevant for today. You know, Paul is really challenging all forms of of religion and people, a lot of people would say they're not religious, but actually everybody believes in something. Even if you're believing that there is no God, that's still a belief system. And and Paul is just challenging all forms of religion, which sort of um, seek to make the God or or a God to suit the needs of the worshippers. You know, Mm. like he's challenging them intellectually, isn't he? The false ideas about God. God is not like this. This is what he's like. And he's also challenging them practically. You know, it's, I think in this speech, there's echoes of Roman, the beginning of Romans, you know, he's saying you're worshiping the created beings rather than the creator. This is the, you're worshiping creating beings. That's why you're unsatisfied here. Let Mm. me show you the, the creator who can satisfy you completely. Yeah, and I think I think this sometimes the scary part of sharing with our friends, isn't it? Is we can 
you know, we can present to them God, but I love the way as well that he, he shows them their responsibility. He's like, this is God, but also he, yeah, he commands you to repent. Like there's this, that's the hard bit sometimes, isn't it? In, in sharing with our friends, it's like, okay, God's like this. He's, he's beautiful. He's, he's judge. He's good. But then it's like, but you've, you've got to do something as well. Like you need to repent. There's this judgment coming. Um, I think that's sometimes quite hard um, in, in evangelism. Um, and it was quite challenging to me, um, the way that he does that. Um, was there anything else that, that you guys found surprising or encouraging about this bit? Like, how's the response to his um, message? I guess the same as we've seen again and again, isn't it? That there was some um, belief, but there was a lot of mocking as well. And... Um, not, not people weren't persuaded. There was a lot of scoff. I guess in, it, it read to me as like intellectual scoffing, like they think they're better than this. The other thing that really struck me was how he uses their own poets in his discussion with them. And it, yeah, it just really made me think, come on, we need to raise our game in, you know, studying our culture well to be able to then help people and help our culture see the the gaps and the inconsistencies within it. Um, yeah, I love that poetry bit because at first it doesn't seem to make sense, but when you look at it, he's saying, you know, he's using their background, isn't he, and saying, look, you agree that uh, all humans are made by God, like, you know, we are one. So one, he's saying this is where humans are have come from god made us we are personal beings we are able to relate to each other um in a loving way therefore god the creator cannot be any less than that and yet you're worshiping the idols you know he's mm. bringing them in drawing them in yes i agree with you here you've said this you've said this, but can you see the inconsistency with how you're living you're mm. saying these gods are like this and yet you have made them less, you've made God less than us. That's not how it should work. Mm. Yeah, one, a really helpful thing I read in John Stock said, at, at its root, all idolatry minimizes the gulf between us and God and tries to bring him under our control so that we can, we can actually be the ones that are the boss, we can be the ones that are powerful. And I just thought he's done, so, yeah, that, that's all the way through this sermon, isn't it? Like, don't be silly. Of course, if God's worth worshipping, he's other and he's holy and he's not able to be contained in a little trinket that you make. Mm. Yeah. And I kind of think, I was quite surprised that um, this isn't your typical kind of evangelistic sermon, isn't it? It's, it's not like, you know, here's your sin, this is Jesus, this is what he did, then he died, then he rose. Like, that's kind of minimised a bit, isn't it? Um, in the sense that he he's engaging with them through, through their poetry and what he's seen in their lives. And I just love that. I love that it's not, you don't have to have this huge presentation of the gospel kind of off to pat when you talk to people. You just want to take, you know, reach them where they are and and look at like observe like um uh one of you was saying observe where they are at and and then and then talk to them in a way that's relevant and identifies with them um yeah, i love that I was... so i think there's echoes of the lystra sermon in this mm. you know yeah 
Yeah, I think so. But I think um, I was... what you said at the beginning, Mary, was the challenge for me that he, yeah, he 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 was really deeply distressed by the idolatry. Like he, his emotions are so upset by the way God's not being worshipped rightly and by their the state they're in that the sermon and all this comes out of that place doesn't it? his heart's moved and so he speaks and I, I find that really challenging that I my heart needs to be more in line with God's emotions so that I feel the distress of my friends that aren't that don't know Jesus yeah how often do we share with our friends because we feel guilty um, or because we just want to be right. Um, oh, you, like, uh, Mary, that's your bag. <laughs> Surely not. Sorry, Mary is the most competitive of us, I think might be true to say. I'm sorry, who was the one who was like, I won at Yahtzee, I won at Dominion, and uh, <laughs> just pick off. Who, who was that? I, I don't know, who was that? That was your voice. That's an exact example of... Uh... <laughs> I am staying well out of this one. Let's not bring lacrosse into this, Helen Shepherd. Oh, I'm sorry. That, would that be international lacrosse? Just saying. <laughs> Don't mess with Helen with a hockey with a lacrosse stick. Oh, careful, my friend. Whoa! <laughs> Don't call it hockey. Anyway, oh, no. shall I talk about what I two things that I found quite surprising or about this passage? Um, oh just to get us back on track, because, you know, I'm the holy one. So uh, I found it really surprising that Paul spends all the time saying, uh, God's not like us. And then he says, oh, but by the way, you're going to be saved by a man. Found that interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess that's probably one of the reasons why they want to speak to him again. You know, he doesn't, but he doesn't explain that at the time, does he? Like you've just said, he doesn't explain it. Um, He hasn't felt the need to lay it all out, but that's something to talk about for next time and the people want to talk about it. The other thing that really struck me was that um, actually what really irritated the people listening was the resurrection. Uh, Mm. Doesn't it? It's um, now when they heard of the resurrection, verse 32, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And I thought, wow, actually it's the resurrection here that challenges the Greek notion um, that, rising from the dead doesn't happen and that everything on earth is inherently evil um you know the resurrection is key here and i i'd never seen before how important it is in this section and actually if you read a lot of paul's writings the resurrection is the thing he he hammers it home doesn't he um there's the romans i think there's a bit in romans 10 where he talks about the resurrection if you don't believe in jesus and that he rose again you're going to be in trouble. It's not just um, believing in his death and his work on the cross, but you have to believe in his resurrection. Um, Mm -hmm. And I thought this was amazing. This must have been stunning to these people listening. It's possible, you know, he's saying it's possible to be, to encounter God and be judged by him and that not be a bad thing because Jesus rose again from the dead. Yeah, mm. it, the whole thing hinges on the resurrection. But it, isn't it interesting that that's the intellectual problem in our age too? People are interested in talking about Jesus's teaching. They're interested in knowing, um, you know, increasing their knowledge of the Bible or sacred writings. But the supernatural fact of a resurrection from the dead is a massive intellectual stumbling block, isn't it, to 21st century 
Western people as well. Mm, yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because actually, uh, not that many people uh, seem to come to faith here. I mean, there's the mention of Dionysius um, and this woman Damaris and a number of others, but it's not, I, I kind of think a, a talk of this caliber, you know, you can imagine people dropping like flies, like in amazement, but they they don't. And it just showed to me that it's, it's a work of the spirit as well, isn't it? It's not just our words and what we, you know, however beautifully we can, you know, go through the process of identify with people and share, share with them in a really relevant way and use all the right words. But it's a, at the end of the day, it's a work of the spirit, isn't it? And um, it seems here that there isn't such a huge response as like potentially other places. Um, I found that quite surprising. Um, and he's not thrown out, is he? Um, I don't know if this is a bad sign uh, when he's not yeah. thrown out. I almost felt like um, they were, you know, back in verse 18 they're like what does this babbler wish to say you know like who is this idiot who this um I read one thing that said they were treating him like a third-rate journalist like who is this <laughs> idiot who really doesn't know what he's talking about and I almost feel like the response at the end of this speech echoes that like they're just not bothered mm, they're like yeah, yeah. and well, there, yeah. it's that it's the place for ideas, isn't it? You know, it was quite a common thing for different men to come in, different teachers. They all followed different schools of thought. And that's it, your truth. This is my yeah, truth. Yeah, it really reminded me of that scripture about, you know, it's hard for the wise to accept the foolishness of God, isn't it? And they were wise mm. in their own eyes and their confidence was in their own wisdom. And that was mm. such a barrier to them. Yeah. Um, mm. Receiving the beautiful but foolish in the eyes of the world truth of the gospel yeah totally um and then so after this Paul leaves for Athens so we're moving on to chapter 18 now um and he goes to Corinth um what happens in Corinth and did anything surprise you the thing that I was surprised but super encouraged by as well was just seeing the human side of Paul here where the Lord comes to him to encourage him in a vision and up to up to this point I would have tended to think of Paul as this super Christian no doubts no fear he's you know he'll take the beating he'll do this he'll do that and I just found this such a beautiful passage where the Lord comes to him tells him not to be afraid tells him that he's with him and that there's people in this city that belong to the Lord. And mm -hmm. I just found that so encouraging that even the Apostle Paul needs that assurance, that encouragement. And But then I was also surprised by seeing the way that that was played out was that the actual officials in this city rule in the gospel's favour. And what a blessing that when there's trouble brought to the um, Gallio, the proconsul, he throws it out and totally gives the, um, yeah, the, the Lord on the side of the church and on the side of the Christians for the first time. And I just thought, what a beautiful answer to that vision and that assurance that the Lord's given that he then works through the authorities to encourage Paul as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I felt the same. I thought um, this little section, verse 12 to um, 
17. I read it first and I was like, yes, yes, yes. But as I looked at it more closely, you know, this was a massive moment for the gospel. Uh, it meant that um, sort of the precedent was set for Christianity. So after this moment, it had the same protection under Roman law that was afforded to the Jewish people. Um, Christianity was kind of regarded as a Jewish issue, almost like a sect within Judaism under Rome, under um, Roman law. And that meant that gospel work could continue. At first, I really bristled over the fact that they were like, oh, it's just an issue, Jewish issue. And I was like, it's not, it's not. But actually, it really meant that yeah, if it had been regarded as being outside of the Jewish tradition, it would have been crushed. <laughs> you know, mm. they, they would have had legitimacy. People would have had legitimacy in attacking them. But this guy, Gallio's sort of indifference and his dislike to the Jews. So it was more that he disliked the Jews more than he uh, disliked Paul, effectively. Yeah, God that can work. Or like even yeah. it's not, not like his heart was good, was it? But God worked yeah. it for but good. I just thought it was so beautiful how God uses this man's indifference and dislike to bring about political protection for the gospel. Mm. Uh, you know, these guys could continue their work, and I, um, it really challenged me to think. You know, I often despair when things don't work out the way I expect them to or want them to. Um, and I, even reading the Bible, I can feel frustrated as I'm reading things. But God really uses that. Everything, everything is for a reason. Nothing is random. Nothing is pointless. Um, and yeah, like this apparent frustration at an injustice not being served actually led to protection for the gospel and the further work of Paul and other workers. I thought it was amazing. Mm, yeah and I love in this section we see that in verse seven um so Paul's left the synagogue he's um fed up um and he goes next door which I love <laughs> um to the house of uh Titius Justice um who um who's a worshiper of God and Crispus the synagogue leader and his entire household believed in the Lord um, I just love that, like the synagogue leader. And then we've got at the end as well, in verse 16, uh, 17, the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. So I'm guessing uh, in some ways, like maybe he's become a Christian or he's sympathetic to them. Um, like God's at work, isn't it? Like he's, like God says to Paul, he says, I have many people in this city. And he does. He's, he's not, you know, he's, he's changing hearts. Um, and it's wonderful to see. But it's it's super encouraging, isn't it? Going back to Athens, that's not that's about God's work in people's hearts, not about the brilliant orator that Paul undoubtedly was. And yeah. you know, if we don't have, if we've not been gifted with quite the same level of oratory skills that Paul has, it's still God's work in people's hearts, isn't it? And we can still be faithful in testifying to the love and the Jesus that we know, and God does mm. that work in people's hearts. Yeah, you're right. Um, so just looking at this uh, section as a whole, um, are there any other kind of encouragements or challenges we can take from uh, these verses that we've looked at? Yeah, I was just going to talk about um, uh, God giving encouragement in the hard things. So, you know, in this section, Corinth is a horrible, <laughs> horrible place. It is super busy lots of people devoted to the worship of many gods you, know, you just have to read 
um, one and two Corinthians, right? And you and you get a flavour of what the city was like. You know, sexual immorality was just the norm, uh, just awfulness. Even within the church, there was a lot of awfulness going on. Um, but God starts, doesn't he, by giving him the encouragement. He brings uh, Priscilla and Aquila to him. They work together. He, you know, at the moment, Paul's got no financial support. So he provides him with people who have the same um, trade as Paul. It seems like Paul might have been like a leather worker or something like that. He's earned money there. Then he brings his fellow workers back to him and they presumably provide financial support because then he's able to work uh, more on the gospel, on his gospel work rather than sort of gaining finances. Um, but then the thing that really struck me was when he says, um, where Jesus comes to Paul in a dream and he says, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. It, it's not this is, you know, he says, he acknowledges, God acknowledges, doesn't he? This is going to be hard. People will attack you, but it's not going to bring you harm ultimately. I just thought it was so beautiful how God is saying, this is going to be hard. I've brought you to this hard thing, but I'm working with you. I am alongside you and I'm giving you the grace to deal with it and the people that you need to to survive it and for my gospel to go forward I just thought it was so lovely and such an encouragement as we think about sharing the gospel with people in Openshaw the UK the world often when we think about evangelism all the things that come to mind are our own weaknesses or the hard things that are going to happen but God is with us in that it's not us mm-hmm. yeah, thanks, the, the other thing else? that I found encouraging and challenging in this in verse five is Silas and Timothy arrive and they find Paul occupied with the word and you know I I can read these passages like this and feel like oh how do we ever get this level of um, expertise or excellence but like I know at the minute we're in a situation aren't we where we can't go out we're in lockdown there's not loads of things that we can do and I just think would I not be occupied with social media, but would I be occupied with the word? You know what? That's mm. it, you know if my heart's engaged with the word, if that's the thing that I'm occupying occupying myself with, then actually we just share, don't we, with friends the things that the Lord has shown us, and actually those are the most precious truths for people because if they're impacting us and our hearts are warmed, like Paul was in um, Athens, then that's that the sharing comes out of a place of um fresh understanding from the word so i just found that phrase really helpful and thought that's a great thing to be praying for each other isn't it that we'd be occupied with the word Mm. yeah yeah that's really great i think that's a really great place to uh to finish for today so thanks for listening everybody um and we'll hopefully uh, see you again next week bye 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 don't put the bags on (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha!